0: video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Uh, Hello, my name's
1: Justin McClue, and I'm here today with... Mark Hansen.
0: And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where we pick all the recent Blu-rays and DVDs that we find notable.
1: Yes, and you know, the definition of notable...
0: Uh, Yeah, this is one where Mark's like, I added a bunch of movies, we need to pad this list out. (laughs) It's
1: like, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good, it just means maybe we have something to say about it. You could be in trouble at school,
0: you're a notable student.
1: Exactly, right? Notable doesn't have to be good or bad or whatever
0: and let's start with round midnight being released by the criterion collection and oh finally one of my favorite directors bertin tavernier has a proper release by a company like criterion finally i
1: feel like we have talked about tavernier so much on this podcast and it's always the same thing give him proper you know he
0: has kino releases that's right because the clockmaker of saint paul came out and a sunday in the country which were good releases but also felt like kino catalog titles like if you didn't know who he was that you wouldn't like go towards it but this is a criterion release and on uh, everyone knows there's a certain sheen that criterion releases have blah 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 blah
1: blah blah. sheen criterion <laughs>
0: and this movie is excellent and it's a nice release it's a, a awesome documentary about the making of the film that has been unavailable anywhere
1: until now on this disc. I mean, this one's been a long time coming. I feel like people have been asking for a Blu-ray for this for years. It's been out it of print. It just had
0: a terrible DVD for a long time.
1: A terrible Warner Brothers DVD. and But it has been extremely popular. Like, it rented all the time at the store. never stopped. So compared to the rest of his movies. It's the
0: story of a jazz performer played by Duke Ellington, who goes to Paris to play a bunch of shows, meets a French fan who becomes his manager. And it's just like a lot of technique films, like a bunch of scenes that make up someone's life. No plot, no real threats or anything like that. Just style and mood. And it's very easily accessible if you have even a little bit of interest in jazz because it's permeated with the stuff. Just jazz all over the place. Just jazz.
1: Yeah, this is a real jazz head movie, right?
0: Yep, that's right. When people talk about jazz movies, this is usually one that's on the top of the list. Now, when will Tavernier get his box set? Someone brought to my attention that in the UK, they did release an essential Tavernia box set. Did
1: they? Okay.
0: Just recently on Blu-ray, yeah. And it doesn't have as many movies as the French box set I has, which has like 25 movies, but it has all the major ones. Like, you're not missing any that you'd be like, oh, I wish I had this one. I guess
1: the problem is that his rights are just split up amongst a bunch of different countries or a bunch of different companies, right? Like... I'm sure, yeah, Criterion's got some, Kino's got some, maybe Arrow's got some. It's Yeah, it's kind of hard to put together some sort of definitive box set when it's in situations like that. Next
0: up, we have, again from Criterion, I can't say it, but the translation is This Is My Desire.
1: I think so? I actually don't know much about this film. Uh, Have you seen this? No,
0: I haven't. Looks great, though. It's a new film by two directors, twin brothers, shot on 16mm traces the journey of two distantly connected strangers, Moff, an electrician, and Rosa, a hairdresser, as they pursue their dreams, starting a new life in Europe while bumping against the harsh economic realities of a world in which every interaction is a transaction. Sounds like a fun time.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I mean, I heard great things about this when it was playing festivals over the last couple years, I guess. So I was wondering when I was going to get a release. This is what I, I mean. I like Criterion putting out Smaller movies now, a little more every once in a while.
0: I was looking, I'm like, is this a criteria? Is this a Netflix release of some kind? No,
1: it's not. I don't think. I think it just is one. I think Criterion just kind of snaps up the rights here and there to certain smaller international films playing the festival circuit and. Puts out a deluxe release of them. The beast of vinegar syndrome partner labels are also dealing with that right now. Oh my god! I mean, yeah, they're snapping. Up. But I think Criterion has a first look deal. This might be an IFC. Ah, that's something. why. Yeah. Because I know Criterion's got first look with them as well as with Netflix and I think with Amazon Prime now too even. I'm down for this, you know. I mean, obviously they're going to put out their parasites and their worst person in the world and like the bigger new foreign stuff coming out. Also, anything made on Netflix. Anything made on Netflix. You know, I'm still waiting for that Tyler Perry movie to come out on Criterion. Or where's the Adam Sandler
0: box set? Come on, Criterion. Okay,
1: you know, they're coming. They're coming. We know. I
0: need murder party or no, not murder party. Murder mystery in 4K.
1: (laughs) It's coming. It's coming, people.
0: Criterion's also putting out For All Mankind in 4K UHD. Wow, we're so, just going
1: big on Criterion this week, eh? Usually we, we avoid them altogether.
0: Wait, is this a TV series? No, it's a 1989 no, movie. No, this is the
1: 1989 film, which has already been out, Um, but... 4k upgrade this is the kind of movie that i could see being worth the 4k upgrade uh if you don't know what it is of course it's
0: mark in like full salesman mode oh yeah you could definitely see the illusion of the fake moon landing in this <laughs> yeah, I video know.
1: as if i have any idea what makes a good 4k upgrade yeah, really but it's
0: a real um demo disc <laughs>
1: You know what? It probably isn't because it was all shot on what, like 16 millimeter in the 80s. Yeah. You know what? I love this movie, though. I've always been a fan. I remember seeing this when I was God, in university, like super stoned, I think. And it just blew in my mind. But it's great in terms of like actual you know, moon landing or space documentaries in general, this is one of the most visceral I've ever seen. Like it really feels like you're there with them. I know that's a cliched thing to say, but I don't know. It's really transportive, I guess is the word. And yeah, I mean, it looked great on Blu-ray. That was when I first saw it. Uh, it was one of their early Blu-rays they put out, uh, so I guess it was just an easy choice to do the the 4K upgrade on. In the years since, it's, it's interesting, the director of it, Al Reiner, never really went on to do much. I think he went to do some visual effects work. Because he discovered too much while making this documentary. When you were saying, is this a new thing? There is a new For All Mankind, which was like an Apple TV series, I believe which I think is a fictional one. Like, you've got actors in it. Uh,
0: I have my first man, thank you very much. Yeah, first man. I mean, the world has forgotten about First
1: Man. Mark, I don't think you need to worry about that. I went to see that in IMAX when it came out. I, I like First my... Man.
0: I feel that director gets too much of a bad rap. Yeah, it was
1: fine. It just felt like any other... It was like Apollo 13 again or something. I don't know. It just... I will
0: always enjoy him for spending half of the commentary of La La Land shitting on Q&A audiences for his first film. Uh, you
1: know... You know what i still have never seen la la land i'm gonna throw that out you're there. not gonna like it don't i know watch it. i know, you know and that's who, why i haven't watched it i know i'm not gonna like it even
0: though i made you a western boy next up oh, musical man you're
1: gonna have to work hard on that one <laughs>
0: <laughs> so next up we have moonfall the new film for roland don't look into who he's been partying with emmerich <laughs>
1: why is that uh has he got some shady stuff going uh, he was part of the brian singer crowd oh yikes well that doesn't surprise me well you know we're gonna go from realistic moon entertainment from for all mankind to completely ridiculous non-realistic moon now entertainment. i hear
0: this movie is crazy this movie's Mark.
1: crazy right ridiculous uh no so i was legitimately really excited for this you know Big fan of Roland Emmerich from back in the day.
0: Didn't I tamp your expectations, though? You did. I remember
1: we were talking about this before it came out. I was really excited about it. I was bummed because it never actually came to theaters here in Canada. It was like a big thing. Uh, So it ended up just premiering on Amazon Prime up here about a month ago, Mm -hmm. beginning of April, I believe. Uh, But yeah, I was bummed. You can go see it in theaters. I don't know. I guess I was just jonesing for that return to that, like, 90s, early 2000s Roland Emmerich disaster picture. Although, but you got it with Geostorm! <laughs> I guess so. I guess we already got it with Geostorm, which Dean Devlin did. And yeah, this is his kind of attempt to return to his roots. I mean, I feel like this movie is directly just combined from Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow, a little bit of Stargate in there, you know? It's like it's like a greatest hits of Roland Emmerich.
0: But it's a greatest hits if it was still starring the most uncharismatic players he's ever worked with. That's fair. A palette that is so gray, like, it almost looks like black and white.
1: Yeah, you know, like, there's a lot of effects work in this, but, like, is it that in... I guess, was I expecting it to be different from your average Marvel movie? It
0: feels like everything was shot in front of a green screen. It looks terrible. It does,
1: yeah. And I think they shot it in a studio in Montreal, mostly, right? That's... And... Yeah, the effects work just looks like any generic kind of Marvel or any kind of blockbuster nowadays. It didn't really... I don't know. Was I hoping it was going to be a return to some of that like miniature-style work he did before? Maybe, I but... I think that's
0: over for him. He's not going yeah, back to I that. Think I,
1: I think it's over. It was just, you know... And I guess my biggest surprise was how much people loved this movie. Or at least, maybe didn't love it, but thought it was entertaining. I remember when this came out, like, critics were talking about how crazy and ridiculous of a good time this movie was, and... I don't know. It just felt kind of dull to me. Yeah, I found it very dull when I watched it with my friends. I was going with it for the first 15, 20 minutes and then it was like, this is, I've seen him do all this stuff before and it's not, he's not bringing anything new to it that's really making it that much more ridiculous. Like, I think People were taken by the twist, like what's actually going on with the moon. But it's not which even that is, fun, though. Like, yeah, like I guess you could say it's ridiculous if you've never seen a Roland Emmerich movie before, or like, or Mission to Mars or anything. But like, I didn't feel like this was that crazy, even with the big twist and everything. I don't. And you're right about the uncharismatic leads. I mean, I have a soft spot for Patrick Wilson, but you know, Halle Berry is like she's
0: in like narcoleptic mode in this oh movie. Oh
1: God, yeah, and the like cheeky, funny British comic relief guy just i found really irritating the whole time and it's so long it's too long it's like two and a half hours long, too long. it's too bad. long for this it's bad anyways disappointing didn't like we long. have
0: a new box set of clutch films uh arrow committed to this director that they announced
1: the announces box set even before the first one came out i wonder if they're gonna do more this is an interesting one because they yeah a lot of these films were put out by Kino back in the day. So I guess Arrow somehow swiped all these rights from Kino and Cohen too and put out some of these. Um, I mean, you're the Chabral head. Is, are these good ones? Is this better than the last uh, yeah, set? Yeah,
0: I mean, it's such a weird grab bag of movies. It's like, it doesn't really seem to
1: be a thematic theme. <laughs> so the twisting the knife doesn't have any sort of thematic relevance, just like lies and deceit. What
0: movies can we put on here? Uh, I don't know. Uh, do we have five? It's like, yep. All right, let's do that. There you go. You're good. Clutch of Blood films have been kind of uh, hard to come by in the Blu-ray era. Kino's been put out a few, but... Putting them together like this, I think, really helps him because he's so prolific and it's difficult to, like, differentiate a lot of his movies. So if people buy these and decide to watch a couple, then it's probably more watches than it would have gotten if he had just been released on its own. Yeah, I
1: mean, I will say cohen did put out a few of these both on this set and the last set that came out on blu-ray five six years ago and but they were just movie they only they didn't yeah they didn't sell well at all whereas these sets are selling pretty well and i think it's just the Arrow brand on it and the fact that they look snazzier than the previous releases and you're right it's like a good it's a good starting point to just get into some of his Cohen releases look boring that's the problem with them right is that they do and they don't often have many features on them and yeah there's not often a ton of care put into their releases which brings us to the next title <laughs>
0: dementia released by cohen no that is not dementia 13 or dementia part two this is the dementia that was released in oh i don't have it in front of me 1955, 1955.
1: uh yeah i've always been curious about this film uh And you'd already seen it. Oh, I I played it at a 24-hour movie marathon at like 3 in the morning. But yeah, I'd never seen it, but I definitely caught up with it this week. I'd always been curious because it was put out before by Kino as a DVD years back. Double-disc DVD. Which we had. Yeah, which we had at the store, and I'd always been curious to check it out. It's
0: directed by a guy named John Parker that nobody knows really anything about. I think he was like the son of uh, someone who owned a theater chain, and this was uh, the only film that he shot In Los Angeles, he was supposed to make another one called Panic, but no one really knows what happened and no one got to interview him about the movie. The movie was kind of butchered and released as a different cut with like narration throughout it, which is on this Blu-ray release under the title Daughter of Horror. But... I mean, that's just a curiosity watch the original vision, which is like just a woman losing her mind in Los Angeles as if shot by Orson Welles for an hour without a single line of dialogue.
1: Yeah, I guess that's kind of the hook with it, that there's no dialogue in it. Right. And yeah, it's fairly short. It's like not even an hour long, 56 minutes. And yeah, I really I was really taken by this film. I feel like you can see how this inspired other things going forward, especially if they stumbled upon it at like 2 a.m. on a public access TV station like what the hell is this yeah i feel like this is exactly the kind of movie that inspired like legions of like horror directors cult directors after this um, without fully like explicitly referencing it but uh yeah it's just like a really good example of kind of like pure cinema with and what you can do with you know light and noise and shots and just like without dialogue without like explicit narrative it's just a really interesting little mood piece. And I feel like it's the kind of thing that plays perfectly. Like if you put it on a wall at a party or something, you know, in the background.
0: Now, Dementia was released in the UK. I'm trying to look up which company by the BFI. And they did a special edition, which had a commentary that had um, a before and after of restoration, probably a booklet too. But this Cohen one's got nothing. It just has the two versions of the movie.
1: Nothing. Yeah, it's got two ver I think it's kind of just like because Kino owns Cohen now. So I think it's just kind of like a straight port of their original DVD, but maybe like... Well, they, uh, new transfers. They did not... But I mean, apart from that, it's just like, oh, you know, we still have the rights to this movie because we put it out. And, all right, let's upgrade it and but put it out. But if Arrow had had this, it would have put it in a box and it would have been like a hard case. And I feel like, again, this is the kind of movie that would benefit from context, you know, in terms of like special features discussing it. Uh, and unfortunately, you're not going to get that. Which sucks.
0: Well, we got tons of special features on the next movie, of course. Caligula, the untold story. <laughs> now, I hope this is the one that was directed by Joe D'Amato. Yes, yes oh, it is. So
1: you're a fan of this one, but not the other one well, that Severin put out?
0: <laughs> I would have had to watch it to be a fan. But I bought it, of course, because I need to... Well, I'm not going to say complete my Joe D'Amato collection, because that is a path of insanity. But, you know, I'll, I'll get his bigger films... <laughs> (laughs) Two hours and ten minutes? That can't be right.
1: (laughs) That's way too long. Way too long. But this
0: is part of Caligula exploitation that came out uh, after... Uh, you know, the big Malcolm McDowell Caligula and Severin just put out this one and uh, as well as a Bruno Mattei f- film, which I'm going to stay away with <laughs> a 10 foot pole. Push that bad boy but away. Bruno,
1: our boy Bruno. Oh, no? he's so
0: bad.
1: <laughs> he is bad. This is uh, bad. release is
0: like a big special edition. It's got, I think the soundtrack CD comes with it, interviews a bunch of people that worked on the film. That's the good stuff. Yes, please. I mean,
1: Severin's gone all out with these, I guess. And these are selling well. I think the Caligula so, like, brand. So people buy these and be like, ah, this uh, Right, like... the Caligula brand is just like big, right? Yeah, I think I think anything—it's like Caligula exploitation, right? It's like, or it's like Nazi exploitation, where it's like whatever comes out, these guys will be like, "All right, yeah, I'll, I'll pick it and up." And
0: I will not enjoy it. I think maybe a lot of people they just kind of put it on their shelf and then they just don't think about
1: it. You know, it's that it's that collector mindset. You got to have all the Severn titles. Got to have. Them all. I do not have to have all the Severn titles. No, <laughs> it's funny though. Caligula: The Untold Story did sell better than. Caligula and Messalina.
0: Oh, so maybe people are a little bit uh, you know what? They may have looked at the back and been like, Well, Caligula the Untold Story has a bunch more special features, so it must mean people care about that's it more. That's
1: true. Yeah. Because yeah, I was kind of assuming they would just sell like exactly the same amount, you know. But uh that's not true. That's not true. Yeah,
0: we sold two of Caligula the Untold Story, only one of the other one. Oh, Justin bought the untold story to oh, get yeah. the other one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no we sold clean out of the untold story like right away wow messalina though we sold maybe like half of them so i don't know yeah it was next kinda... up we have thief of hearts oh a classy paramount release and classy as in uh paramount mod yep and this
0: return, is this so week's
1: one so buy
0: mind mind, mind. Woo! now thief of hearts is notable Because it was one of the first films produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Yeah,
1: under their, you know, Simpson-Bruckheimer production label. And I think that's the reason I was always interested in this. Uh, And the cover just always, like the DVD cover, uh, which is just the poster, always intrigued me for some reason. It had that, like, you know... Neo noir, 80s neo-noir kind of like bluish black look to it. Well, it know? looks like,
0: hey, you want to rent Michael Mann Thief, right? Yeah, it's wow. like Thief,
1: but Thief of Hearts. No, of Hearts, yes, that's right.
0: <laughs> and this film, writ- written and directed by Douglas Day Stewart. No, you do not know who that person is.
1: Yeah, is, I was looking him up. Uh, not much, not much there.
0: Is 80s as hell. And mostly, I think it's because of the score written by Mr. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop himself,
1: Uh, Harold Faltermeyer. Do 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 do
0: do. Actually, and this has an amazing uh, soundtrack it score does, as well. Yeah, I love of it. 80s. Hits. Oh
1: man, the the like main theme sort of title track that plays throughout most of it is really great. Oh,
0: there's an EG Daily track. The voice of Tommy Pickles herself. Hey,
1: yeah, this in terms of just pure sort of like 80s audio visual experience, this is great this is everything you're gonna want and
0: it's an erotic
1: it's really kind of an erotic you know i had a lot of fun i'm gonna just say i had a lot of fun with this movie it's definitely i thought it was fine you know yeah, it you was can fun. definitely see it's taking from thief because we should mention jerry bruckheimer was also a producer of thief uh the michael mann film before he you know teamed up with don simpson for his you know 80s 90s run i feel like he's like let's do thief again but more of like a romantic version of thief so you've got the thief this time played by steven bauer and he he works with david caruso and they're both you know stealing from rich houses and stuff and they kind of scope they live in giant lofts filled with just junk yeah they live in great giant lofts they're really successful at being thieves or whatever and one night, he Stephen Bauer steals from a you know wealthy couple, and he decides to steal the the wife's journals because they're in the safe. And her journals are stuff. like,
0: "I love to have sexual pleasure and in water. Yeah, I her- wish someone would just <laughs> feed me ice cream."
1: My God, right? They're
0: like instructions of how to romance. It's her. so
1: great, but I love how you know so that she. They find that the um, safe has been stolen. And she's like, oh, my God, my journals were in there. And she's like, immediately, she's like, I know that the thief is reading my journals. And everybody else around her is like, "Uh, no, there's no way. He just stole it because they were in the safe. He had better things. He doesn't care about your journals. But then... Oh, he's reading those journals. He loves those journals. Oh, he's reading them. He, he loves the journals. So much so that he decides to... I guess he starts this obsession with her and starts to stalk her first and then ingratiate himself into her life he wants to solicit her design basically like her um, interior design services uh, because she's a budding uh, interior designer and they start their own romance and it's like If I were her, I would kind of get the feeling that this guy was the thief who was reading my journals like pretty early on, wouldn't you? Like he's being so obvious about it. And yet she doesn't seem to really clue into that until the very end. But man, the cheese in this is just too funny. And then her husband plays- Dripping off the screen. Oh God, yeah. Her husband plays the typical like 80s, you know, successful businessman guy who doesn't pay attention to his wife. I love how Steven Bauer sort of starts like putting digs in at him too uh which is funny and like nobody seems to realize he's this thief until the end and it's too late by that time i don't know i had a lot of fun with this movie i gotta say i mean
0: it's exactly what it says on the tin like a steamy drippy corny 80s uh romantic romantic erotic thriller it's visually and sonically
1: exactly what you would want. oh and yeah i think that's the main reason to get this um again this is a blu-ray upgrade from paramount with like no special features so you know i i don't know how worth it is it is unless you're like a major fan of this movie but i mean that would be the highlight is just seeing this kind of like 80s cheese like big and loud and just like pristine i would say it definitely leans more into the romance than the like action elements there's there's no action elements. there's no action really like there's one scene at the beginning where he steals you know from the couple And and that kind of, you know, is reminiscent of Thief a little bit or like the heist sequences there. But like apart from that, it's mainly just like a sappy 80s romance with like a hint of danger to it. So I give it a blind buy. If you want it, get it. I'd say, yeah, give it a blind buy. Like this is you can definitely see all the hallmarks of the Bruckheimer Simpson style in this movie. Because, yeah, I think this was the second one they released after Flashdance. And it definitely continues that style all through the 80s. Yeah, I had a great time with this. If you've never seen this and you're into Bruckheimer kind of stuff, I would say you can't. And next up, I know
0: Mark's into this as well because I definitely did not put this one on the list. It is The Beautician and The Beast.
1: Yeah, we're sticking with Paramount Blu-rays this week. Uh, they got a lot of good stuff. Uh, I tried to sell you on this on Blind Buy, and clearly that didn't go over. Uh, oh,
0: I thought this was a different movie. I thought it was the one with Paris Hilton.
1: No, this... Are you thinking of... And the...
0: John Hess or John Hurt. Whatever, John Hurt. Paris Hilton and John Hurt. No, no, no. <laughs> You're not Who thinking of the Hottie and, and the again? It's... John
1: Heater. John Heater, did, yeah. Did they star in a movie together? Didn't
0: know. he star in a movie that had, like, Beautician or something? like that in the title
1: very possible very possible but this i'm looking through the list here this one is the classic 90s comedy with uh, the nanny herself fran drescher and everybody's favorite james bond timothy dalton
0: (laughs) and everyone's favorite director ken
1: quapis ken (laughs) quapis
0: director of such classics as a bunch of tv show basically every sitcom that you ever watched he did the office malcolm in the middle freaks and geeks sisterhood of the traveling pants
1: lots of great movies and that
0: really creepy film where robin williams is keeping the couple from marrying each other yep
1: license to wed this movie i can't believe i never saw as a kid because i remember the movie theaters the video store just posters of this everywhere for a time like they were really pushing this movie because i guess you know fran drescher was kind of at the height of her tv fame at that point and they really wanted to make her crossover. And I think my parents rented this at the time or something. I just never watched it with them. But I don't know. This The poster for this movie is always just scarred in my brain. So, you know, I gave it a watch this week. And it's pretty much exactly what you think it is. Fran Drescher plays like a streetwise New York, you know, sassy New York beautician who takes a job <laughs> to basically teach the kids of a like the basically the oligarch of a of a fictional like sort of russian company country you so know? a nanny like situation yeah you know so you know it was like in that era when you know they wanted to like reference like eastern european sort of like political issues but not like specifically with a country so they wouldn't offend anybody so like yeah timothy dalton plays like the ruler of this country that's basically like russia but not But she basically teaches him to be softer towards his workers and everything because, all you know, the workers are all striking and everything. And he's just like an ironclad ruler. And the U.S. is painting him like an almost Stalin type figure. But, you know, all he needs is a little bit of like kindness and spunk from Fran Drescher to, you know, brighten his day and make him just a better ruler, just a more benevolent ruler sounds like a delightful time and no problem no problematic politics in this at all for sure <laughs> nothing at all
0: i was thinking of the hottie and the naughty yeah i was confusing That's a
1: t- i thought you might be referencing uh, that.
0: joel david moore i was confusing with mr napoleon dynamite himself uh, yeah. hottie and the
1: naughty you know not a good movie not a good movie no
0: <laughs> no really <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's not. It's As not opposed good. to the
0: beautician and the beast that you love. Yeah,
1: great movie, great movie. When's the Blu-ray of the hottie and the naughty coming out? That's what I want to know.
0: Next up, hey, it's our good friends, the Vinegar Syndrome partner
1: labels. We got we got some partner labels coming up here. Halloware
0: from Factory 25 and Project Space 13 from Circle Collective.
1: So yeah, I put these together because they are from the same director, uh, a guy named Michael M. Blandick, who is another another guy who kind of emerged out of the mumblecore scene in New York, although his stuff was kind kind of like in that post-Mumblecore phase. Uh, he kind of got big initially because he had a working relationship with Abel Ferrara. I think he worked on some of his films and then Abel Ferrara actually helped produce and even like cameoed in a few of his early films. But basically these two films, Hellaware is back from 2013, but Project Space 13 is is brand new. That just came out last year. It was shot during the pandemic. Uh, they're kind of just like bougie art world satires isn't it the new york art world silly you get it you get it and these are techni- project space 13 is technically a sequel to hellaware because it follows the same character uh this like 20 something like disaffected art world guy uh, named nate who basically is yeah in hellaware he's fed up with the new york art scene just thinks it's really bougie so he finds this like rap rock group out of delaware comprised of teenagers who are all kind of like dressed up to look like in Insane Clown Posse, and they have, like, really offensive kind of, like, rap rock songs, so, and it's, you know, really, like, lo-fi type stuff, so he goes out there and basically tries to, like, make them highbrow art world thing by banking off their, like, supposed authenticity, you know, it's all that kind of thing. Pretty funny, though, I really like this guy. Project Space 13 kind of continues that, because at the end of of Hellaware, you know, things go really wrong, but it ends up turning out that, you know, his his botched art world project is actually a big hit with the New York elite. So then he, in project space 13, he's building his next exhibit, which is then promptly closed down by COVID. But because the exhibit is him just sitting in like a cage, basically, while people were supposedly supposed to come in what? and look That's at him. That's so
0: trite. Come on. Very much
1: like Marina Abramovic. She did stuff like Didn't that. Did right? Went Wynn do something like that, too? Yeah, maybe. You know, Shia LaBeouf did something like that, Boring. Right? <laughs> anyway, so this, that Project Space 13 all takes place in our gallery as it's shut down for COVID. And there's, like, two security guards who are meant to, like, watch over it. While he's sitting in the in the cage, and there's like suppose you know riots going on outside and everything, um, but yeah, I don't know. I got a soft spot for this guy. His these movies are short; they're only like an hour, just barely over an hour. And I don't know; they just got like a kind of fun. I know I like their commentary on the art world isn't like that. Fresh or unique, I guess, but it's just you know. I don't know. They're entertaining little comedies, I guess. I don't know. I I really dig this guy. You gotta be
0: more confident, Mark. You gotta say you do know. You watch these
1: now, you'll regret it if you don't. I do know. I do know. Watch him. Well, watch Hellaware first, and if you if you like that, then go on to Project Space Thirteen. If you don't like Hellaware, you're probably not gonna like the rest of his stuff. Next
0: up, we have old friends that we always wish the best for them, and. They keep knocking out those uh, strikes over
1: and over again. Unless maybe you like this one, I haven't seen this one, Mark. No, th- this was one I put on that I, I did not like.
0: Oh, let's say the title. It's Candisha, and it's a new uh, film from the directors of Inside, Alexandre Bustillo and Julian Mori. We all love Inside, right? We love
1: Inside, and you know what like, happened? What, what, like, why can't they make another good movie? I always am just so annoyed that like they can't seem to follow up Inside with anything worthwhile you know like people like livid i'm glad that you enjoy it yeah livid was bad, bad. though like,
0: it's so lame
1: and i was so hyped to see livid at the toronto international film festival what it played and it well that's just... a
0: classic sophomore midnight madness God, yeah it just they, i don't it was like an unwritten rule that at midnight madness they would always play the second film from people who had a hit the year or two years before. So you'd get stuff like Cypher from Vincenzo Natali or...
1: I, I like Cypher, okay.
0: UAK Kitamura's Alive. And it's yep. like, why is this playing a Midnight Madness?
1: And you know, I get it because Inside was a huge like Midnight Madness hit. Huge. Um, and it was great. And that's like the perfect kind of Midnight Madness experience. How
0: is that one so good? And their movies after are so
1: bad. I know, it's so good. And it's just like they haven't been able to i guess it was just a fluke i guess it was just you know lightning in a bottle i've seen amongst
0: the living that movie's terrible like i don't know what they were thinking i never saw that one so basically the first half hour is like oh it's like the goonies or the monster squad where a bunch of kids go to an abandoned fair thing and get chased by a killer this is fun and then they all go home and they're all killed one after the other and
1: it's like what well then you probably won't like this one because Candisha is kind of similar to that it's about you know a group of french youths who you know there's this rumor about this evil witch lady named Candisha, and they kind of summon it and then it basically just kills them off one by one which is you know standard horror movie plot but he just they just don't bring anything to it it's just so bland generic and and the worst part about it is they're like bad sense of humor like the the dialogue they write for these like supposed teenagers comes off exactly like old people writing dialogue for young people especially with the jokes which are all like super cringe
0: oh my god mark you just said super cringe is somebody
1: writing your dialogue too? i know, somebody uh, they are they're writing my dialogue right oh now.
0: no oh no it's better. i wish these guys like i wish them the best because i they were they came from like the genre film scene like magazine scene they work for mad movies they're huge you know uh horror heads and they just can't do it i don't understand why and
1: this is actually one of two movies they had out last year did you see the other one the i did
0: not see the D house didn't we talk about it because it's a found footage film it right? Is.
1: yeah i don't think we talked about it because it hasn't well it came out here it, it came out it played fantasia last year oh i think we talked about it in person not on the podcast maybe yeah it came out through epics i believe which is like a sign that your movie's not good But uh, yeah, it's that one's a found footage thriller with like a couple of, you know, basically these like YouTubers that go and explore like undiscovered treasures or whatever. And they, they hear about this like buried ship at the bottom of a lake. So they basically scuba dive down. So it's like a found footage movie all set underwater, mostly interesting idea. And the idea of like an actual just like a standing house on the bottom of a lake is creepy to me. But again, they don't do anything with it. It's all like the same boring jump scares, all the usual found footage ch- tricks and everything. Inside was just lightning in a bottle, like you said. Like Nothing happens in it. Yeah, I just think it's like every time there's a new movie from them, I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I'll give this a go. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is where they finally you know, capitalize on that product." So
0: to end on a brighter spot, <laughs> we have <laughs> the Gasoline Alley. The new film
1: in Willis Watch. It's Willis Watch, baby. The hospital
0: (laughs) coming to take Willis away. No more movies for you, Bruce.
1: Yeah, Willis Watch has taken a bit of a dark turn in uh, recent months. Well, the last month, I guess. As you know, you're all well aware of the diagnosis that Bruce Willis does in fact have dementia or aphasia, which is a form of mental deterioration. And that not only that, but he was, you know, a lot of people on the sets of these movies he was making have been aware of it. There was a, you know, pretty scathing LA Times expose about he would have
0: kept making movies for years.
1: If that article didn't come out. Oh, yeah, but they were all enabling this, you know. And yeah, it's kind of this is something that obviously you and I speculated on a ton throughout our Willis Watch days. The fact like, is he ill? There were rumors about this going around forever. I think when, yeah, basically when the news came out, which I do think was kind of prompted by the L.A. Times expose. I feel like that was coming out. And then to save face, a lot of these producers like Randall Emmett, who we've talked about, have basically, you know, been like, "Uh, Bruce, yeah, you got to retire now, it's done. Like, we can't do this anymore. Especially when they were firing guns. Firing guns on set without knowing. Like, he didn't know where he, like, apparently, according to directors he worked with, he didn't know where he was from time to time. Like, pretty disturbing stuff. But yeah, I think there was a lot of outpouring of like, oh my God, poor Bruce Willis. How could this have happened to him and everything? Whereas I, I think the blame needs to be put All with the people that were enabling this, for sure. I I think the worst part about this is all of his team around him that were enabling this and getting a lot of money off of continuing to make him show up for these sets and everything.
0: Not us, the poor reviewers,
1: making fun of Willis looking sleepy as he suffered from dementia. (laughs) I guess that's the big question. Should we feel bad for making fun of Bruce Willis through these movies? That's a tough one because... Bruce Willis has, let's not, you know, beat around the bush, been kind of an asshole for a long time. But he's also been lazy before dementia set in. And he's been lazy. Like, again, this it's not like he just started doing these movies the last couple of years. Like, he has been doing these movies for over a decade now. Like, all these VOD. Like, mixed in with other Hollywood movies here and there. But Well,
0: when the Cop Out come out? Cop Out
1: was twenty. 10 or 11 or something yeah 2010 but at least that was like a hollywood movie but he looks so sleepy and undedicated in that movie he was still doing bad vod movies at that time though too so it's like this started a long time ago and i think it's only within the last like five years it's really started to spiral which is what happens with dementia i mean my grandmother had it really bad and it is a really steep decline you know it starts to manifest itself really in small ways at first and then one day it just kind of like it's like it goes off a cliff you know And I think it's like one of those situations where everybody around him knew, but it was like a lucrative business for these producers making these no budget movies. And it's like, well, we got to keep doing them. And it's it's crazy to me that like the amount like I know he's retired now, but he's still got a ton of movies coming out this year. Like since the announcement uh, in early April, I think it was his retirement announcement, they have released four new movies of his. Yeah, and there are more to come. Like, we're not done yet. Like
0: Yeah, there's, oh my God, Vendetta, Soul Assassin, The Wrong Place, Wire Room, White Elephant, Paradise City. Yeah,
1: and we've got Fortress 2, which came out. Corrective Measures is on Tubi right now. Like, there are a lot. White Elephant is a Jesse V. Johnson movie. It is, and actually Jesse V. Johnson was one of the directors in that LA Times piece that spoke up and said he was really disturbed by the way bruce willis was trotted out on his set and apparently he said he was after he wrapped that movie he would never do another movie with bruce willis again well, not because he doesn't you know like bruce willis but because of what happened and how they were like clearly he wasn't well and they were like kind of like trotting him out to like do these scenes so yeah he was pretty outspoken about that it
0: looks like the credit may end with uh, we've spoken about this before. Paradise City, the Chuck Russell Willis Travolta Dorf. It could
1: be that. It might be that.
0: Let's talk about Gasoline Alley. You watch it. We can still make fun of the movie around Bruce Willis sitting yeah, in the chair. you know,
1: because I think like the movie is still bad. And the way they decide to use Bruce Willis in these movies and think that nobody's going to notice that he's either A, checked out or B, like actually ill is crazy to me because he is just so out of it and it, and it's crazy too like this one is directed by the guy who's directed uh several of his stuff already like uh apex and cosmic sin basically the guy that called me out on twitter for making fun of cosmic sin way back in the day has he made like um very uh, sad posts like i knew how he was being abused i don't but... think he has but yeah some of the directors and writers that have worked on these movies have said stuff like that and it's like why didn't anybody say anything at the time like you guys were like making like your careers off this guy you know like it's kind of like to, it's like trying to save face right at the last minute it almost seems but i don't think this guy said anything this guy who made this um edward drake is the guy that i was saying before in a previous willis watch that he had a little more of a like a self-awareness to the movies he was making like in apex how they would reference previous bruce willis roles in um when they were talking about the character so i always felt this guy had a bit more of even though the movies are crap like a little bit more of a handle on bruce willis's star power and like how it was basically being exploited for these movies and tried to have a bit of self-referential fun with that this one You don't really get any of that. Again, Bruce Willis, this is mostly a Devin Sawa picture. So if you're a Devin Sawa fan, you know, line right up as I am. Luke Wilson kind of is just like Bruce Willis, though. They both are like background players. Bruce Willis is really in the background of this as he continues to be in these movies. He basically is kind of a potentially a shady cop in the background. So I don't know. He really doesn't do much in this at all, which is pretty much par for the course for him. It's mostly about Devin Sawa, who's an ex-con, who's like a tattoo artist. He gets wrapped up in the murder of a... um basically a prostitute in uh hollywood who he had met at a bar and kind of hit it off with so they think he did it so he's trying to investigate who actually did it and it turns out to be this big police corruption thing so he has to convince luke wilson and bruce willis who are the detectives kind of on his case that he didn't do it and there's something larger going on that's basically all there is to it there's one or two decent car chase action sequences with devon sawa i have to say little bit more of a budget than these usually have. I like this new Devin Sawa renaissance that's happening. I think Devin's And you know what? I think Devin Sawa is great in this. I mean, for what he has to work with, he really anchors the screen. I... I wouldn't say I was like a crazy fan of him as a kid. I mean, I liked him and stuff, but I I never thought he was like an amazing actor or anything. But I how feel like dare he's, you? He's got some, you know, his acting chops have grown a little bit in the years, and I I definitely like seeing him in movies nowadays. I like his presence. Good old Canadian boy too. Can't uh, can't hate on that. Yeah, I mean, he does all the heavy lifting here because Br- Luke Wilson is almost as like checked out as Bruce Willis is in this movie, so. Yeah, it's really just the Devin Sawa show. So I don't know. I would say this is slightly better than whatever the last one we talked about, I think, was American Siege. But, you know, compared to like Apex, which was from the same director, I don't think it's nearly as fun as that because you don't really have a guy like a Neil McDonough in there to really like ham it up at all. It's kind of like, it's played too straight, I think, which is the problem. It's a slightly more polished Bruce entry. I'll say that.
0: There is nine more Bruce Willis films about to be released, and Mark will watch them all. You will, won't you? Well, that's the thing. So,
1: like, to give our viewers a little heads up of what's to come, we've got A Day to Die coming out soon, which I watched. That is the, that's one which co-stars Kevin Dillon, you know, been wondering where he is. Leon, who I'm a big fan of. Remember Leon from Cool Runnings nope. and oh come on Leon's the man. And uh Frank Grillo, Frank Grillo's always in a bunch of these. Anyway, so that's coming out soon. We'll be talking about that. We've got Fortress 2, which is the sequel to last year's Fortress, and which is supposed to be a trilogy, although I don't know if they finished it before he uh um, retired, yeah. He basically retired. But this is the one where uh it's been It's the brainchild of Emile Hirsch and Randall (laughs) Randall (laughs) Emmett, for some reason, even though Emile Hirsch is not in those movies. Anyways, it's another Chad Michael Murray, uh, Bruce Willis special. So that's coming soon. Uh, we've got Corrective Measures, which is actually a Tubi original. So they're selling some of these to Tubi. It's a yeah.
0: superhero movie, too. Yeah, like, it's like a prison
1: thing, superhero thing with Michael Rooker. So there's that. Oh,
0: I just watched a trailer. Bruce Willis looks so sad in it now. Like, he looks so I sick. I know,
1: I know. And then we've got Vendetta coming out soon, which is another just generic one. I can't even remember who's in I think uh, Thomas Jane's in that one, actually, with him. And then there's a few more. There's more like retirement. Yeah. And then we've got the Jesse V. Johnson one, which is hitting VOD, I believe, at the end of this month. So they're all, they're just coming out like crazy. Right all
0: now. right. Well, we'll be there heroically doing our we'll duty. We'll be
1: there. And yeah, I, no, it, it is really sad because I have witnessed family members deal with dementia and it is really not fun. And yeah, I can definitely see the signs of bruce willis having this throughout these movies now now that it's actually out there wait when is the jesse v johnson movie supposed to come out at the end of the month they finish these and they whip them out like super fast i mean that one's the first one in a while that has like an actual director behind director it yeah behind it that like he has like somewhat of a discernible style so i'll watch that one definitely who knows maybe we'll get something a little more interesting
0: <laughs> on that um depressing note that's the end of the 3 video podcast It
1: is. yeah so thanks for listening everyone everybody thanks for listening to our big old rant about about Bruce and yeah Bruce we feel bad for you all
0: right so uh, until next week
1: my name's Dustin the Glue and I'm Mark Hansen. keep on buying keep on renting what you watch. no more bruce willis films these movies and many more are available at your local video store uh, we'll still have the balls, so i mean but
0: you shouldn't rent them it's exploiting uh poor bruce like if
1: he's still getting money from us watching these like that's a good thing right like it sh- he shouldn't be on these sets anymore but does it help him like, i don't know i i just you know i do watch these movies genuinely because i'm a fan of him like I, I wouldn't i wouldn't watch these if i wasn't a fan but you know it's sad it's sad